We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here or there. I don't know how these things work. Uh, I'm Drew McKay. I'll be your host uh, tonight. We're going to talk about the importance, the need, why every PT really needs to understand the uh, the update on the Venus thromboembolism guidelines. All right. Why do you? I am talking directly to you. Why you need to understand those updates and what it means for you and your clinical practice. We're going to bring in three people who understand this way better than me. That's the key to sounding intelligent is bring smarter people around you. So when you ask them a question, they answer and they answer it correctly. Uh, we're going to bring in our guest tonight. We're also speaking at CSM. Uh, on the update for the venous thromboembolism guidelines. We'll talk about that. Did want to say thanks to our friends at uh, Physical Therapy and Balance Centers, created by PTs, especially for PTs in private practice. On average, a private practice who joins the physical network grows more than 40%. Who would say no to 40%? I wouldn't say no. Uh, so if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes... And we know the last two years have brought changes. Uh, visit physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. Also, our friends from uh, MW Therapy. Have your EMR costs grown out of control? Are you frustrated because that EMR you're stuck using was designed in like 2017? 2017 was a long time ago. Um, not adaptable. One size fits all, but it's not fitting you. Changing EMRs, I know, it can cause you a little bit of anxiety, but they made it easy. So take a test drive for something customizable, something better uh, at mwtherapy.com. That is mwtherapy.com. Where switching over your EMR is, in fact, easy. All right, without further ado, and you all uh, know how much I love ado, let's start the show. All right, welcome to PT Pinecast. We like to say it's great physical therapy conversations on tap. I'm your host, physical therapist, Drew McKay. Uh, find us on the socials outside of the show at PT Pinecast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Also, make sure you subscribe to the program uh, wherever you listen to podcasts on your smartphone, on your computer, iTunes, Google, Spotify, whatever. We're on all those uh, podcast apps. Uh, website is also at, uh, excuse me, ptpinecast.com. We were selling these over Christmas break. Uh, our lawyers have told me to reiterate the logo you're looking at, the doctor of physical therapy. It might look like a famous soft uh, soft drink brand logo. Similarity, it is completely by accident, not on purpose at all. Again, you can get your own at ptpinecast.com. The episode, as I mentioned a second ago, is about you. Why you need to understand the update on the venous thromboembolism guidelines. Why do you need to do that? So to explain that, I'm bringing in three experts. Let's welcome in uh, Ellen back to the show, Mike and Kathy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. Hey. Hello. All right, Hi. Guys. Thanks for having us. Ellen, we've had you on the show before. You know what the first question is. It's always the hardest. First question is, what are we drinking tonight? Ellen, what do you have there? Rosé bubbles. <laughs> oh, and, and if for the podcast listeners, she's just holding it. She's got the fancy flute. <laughs> So hold on a second. This is rose bubbles. What are rose bubbles? What is that? What is it? Is it different so than rose? Instead of champagne, no, it's uh, pink bubbles instead of your goldish color. So it's gotcha. like a rose or sometimes a pinot noir, um, but they have it sparkling. Sparkling that. Everything's better with bubbles right there. Uh, Kathy, what do you got? What's on tap for you tonight? 
I am drinking a frog vice. Ooh, what is oh. that? It's I a like fruited that. sour, but I put it in a pine glass because of the name of the podcast. I like that about you. Uh, Mike, what do you got there? I have Big Grove Brewery. It's a brewery from Iowa City. It's their boom town. Really nice, easy to drink lager. And I also have it what in my pint glass. glass. I'm lazy. I'm doing <laughs> it in a can koozie. But I've got, this one's called Juice Bomb. How do you say no to something you said? You Cat has something fruity. This is an IPA, Juice Bomb IPA from Sloop Brewing. And again, local. So I do love when we drink from our local breweries and distilleries. So uh, cheers to you guys for coming on the program. And thanks so much for sharing insight. Cheers, everybody. Uh, first round is brought to you by our friends from Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification and personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training and the uh, equipment you can apply it properly in your clinical practice uh, at owensrecoveryscience.com. They also have their own podcast that you can get real deep into blood flow restriction uh, training. Ellen, uh, this is like you're like you're like in the like the four timers club, I think like you've been on the your frequent flyer here on this program. <laughs> You must like me. <laughs> well, you come on here. You're, you're like, you get right to the point. Like, you know what you're talking about. So I know we're going to get good information. You explain it well. That's, I mean, we said this in the last episode. Like, if you don't understand, if you understand something, you can explain it simply. If you can't explain it simply, it means you don't understand it. So uh, the episode tonight, what are we talking about? We've got new, an update on the venous thrombo, thromboembolism guidelines. So let's go macro. Let's go 30,000 foot view. Uh, what was updated? What are those new guidelines? And then we'll get into, you know, what they are and why I need to make sure I, I bring them into my clinical practice. Who wants to tackle that, the big macro question? Mike. Mike's up. <laughs> oh, Mike's up. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you. So <laughs> Ellen and I did this back in uh, 2016. And I think, I think we posted, we were never going to do it again, but here yeah. we are, right? You're, you're back. A lot of work that goes into it, but uh, it's been a great process. So in 2016, we, we put out guidelines. It really focused on lower extremity uh, DVT. And um, that was really the focus screening, prevention, treatment, when you can ambulate and got a lot of great feedback from it. Um, the feedback for improvements, though, we're looking at upper extremity DVTs. How do you manage those? How do you screen for those? How do, can you move somebody's arm? What does that all mean? And then, of course, pulmonary embolism. That's a, that's a big one, right? Um, what does it mean when they have one? When can you move them? How long do they need to rest for? Um, there's, you know, there's lower risk. There's higher risk PEs. How do, you, how do you take that into consideration when you do that? And also, we got a little bit in there about some special populations, individuals who have cancer, individuals who are suffering from COVID. We're able to tackle some of those things there. So um, we have 19 key action statements, and I think about 10 of them are new ones. Nine or 10 are new, and the other ones we revised and updated uh, from the last guideline. And you said the last guideline was 2016? Is that is that what you said? So not long Correct. ago. So, I mean, like sometimes you'll see an update and it'll be 10, 15 years in the making, but this this was updated pretty quick. What, Mike, what, was the, the shortened amount of time between updates because of so many people asking for things like special populations or what, you know, what was the reason you guys decided to get back into this thing and, and take on a big pro process such as another update? Yeah, I think that was the driving force was a lot of people are asking for upper extremity. A lot of people are asking for pulmonary embolism. What about this? What about that? And we knew there was a lot of stuff out there. We just did not have the time, did not have the energy the first time around to do that. And uh, we also knew, and we can talk about later, maybe a little bit about compression. And we knew the literature changed a little bit around compression. So we knew that needed to be updated too. So those, those were the driving forces. And, and plus, Ellen's a great leader and she she kept us moving forward. <laughs> like, well, you guys are going to do this and we're going to do it well. So let's, let's, let's jump in. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, take it on something like this again. Uh, why was it important to you to, to, to put these out there? Uh, well, I'm going to say first that I wasn't a great leader. I'm more of a nag. <laughs> All right. I like it. it would be like, okay, we have to have another meeting, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and they'd be like, but it's Christmas. <laughs> Man, you were, you were like complete Scrooge, right? You're just like, we're working on Christmas and no, you're not getting another lump of coal. There you go. She drove us a lot of drinking too. That we had to <laughs> get through this. Here, you know, it's but, a good know. meeting. Oh, uh, but I have to say, Kathy and Mike have been so easy to work with, and I think we, the three of us, made such a team. It, the process was a lot easier. It really was. All um, right, so, go ahead. So these are available now. Where can people? I want to make sure if, if people are listening along, if they just started listening, where can they get these? Where can they access them so they can dig in themselves? Well, we have been accepted for publication in the PT Journal. Um, and we just went and did our revisions. So it's just put in. So I would assume online publication would probably be within a month. Okay. Um, as far as that goes, I, I don't think it'd be earlier than that. And then I would think the regular publication might be late spring, you know, as far as that goes. Um, hopefully, well, I know PTJ is, is backed up, but I think uh, They'll be out there very soon, and then they can come to our presentation at CSM or listen to the on-demand and get a lot of the information as well. Talk about that presentation at, uh, at CSM. You guys are all going to be out there in San Antonio in just a couple of weeks. Um, I'm excited because I'm pretty much frozen thaw in the Northeast. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be frozen solid in the Northeast uh, below 30 degrees. But, uh, Kathy, excited to present at CSM, uh, excited to get together with some colleagues and share some good information. I'm very excited. I actually Googled weather in San Antonio yeah. just today because I am broadcasting <laughs> from Wisconsin in a very chilly day myself. So, no, I'm really excited. CSM is such a great opportunity to just get pumped up about practice because you see all these people doing such cool work. And it's actually, you know, the reason I joined this group, you know, mm -hmm. seeing other guidelines presented. I just want to get involved. So I'm really excited. And I love the questions you get with people in the audience. It just really helps inform the project and keep us pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I love that. All right, Alan, let's start with you. Uh, latest evidence. Let's talk about, you know, I mean, I guess latest since since the last updates, which would be 20, uh, 2016. Latest evidence on venous thromboembolism. What 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 was come out? It's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. <laughs> we call it BTE, and it's a lot easier that way. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my area that I covered was pulmonary embolism, and it's not very well understood. And what we found in the literature, and you know, we were so lucky. There are some fabulous guidelines out there. European Society of Cardiology is one that we really followed a lot with um, on pulmonary embolism and learned a lot. So with PE, there's three types. Um, there's massive, submassive, and non-massive. That's the American terminology. The European terminology is very, very similar but they use high risk, intermediate, high risk, intermediate, low risk, and then low risk. So the intermediate has two areas where the U.S. only has one. Got it. So we explain that. But the key thing that we learned, and we have key action statements, one is if they have a massive or a high risk, we don't touch them. Mm -hmm. And the other, the opposite, if they're non-massive or low risk, those are people that can be treated just like a lower extremity DVT. As soon as they're anticoagulated, we can get them up and get them moving. So the middle area is the one that PTs will have a little bit more trouble with. And I think our guidelines really are very explicit to say what you should look for in the chart. 
Um, primarily, you should be looking at the echocardiogram and to see if the right ventricle, you know, there are two, Jimmy, a left and a right. I know you're more <laughs> ortho-oriented, you so we that, have to kind that. of help you. But um, if the right ventricle is involved, then you can't really work with that person right away. And so you have to watch for um, right ventricular involvement. And that would indicate that we have to be more conservative with our treatment. And so we spell all of this out. I think it makes it very easy for the PT to understand who to mobilize, when they can mobilize them. And then as well, we also looked at who's at risk for a PE. So we, we discussed from risk all the way to mobility. I think this is very important. We could stop now and people would already have to run and, and, and check these out. We've talked about this in past oncology episodes. I feel like these patient populations that we'll talk about today, PTs, myself included, I mean, I'm having flashbacks to like tests in PT school where it was like, a patient has this and you're like, oh gosh, no, just play it safe. And then we talk about underdosing. It's like, listen, you should know exactly when the answer is yes to mobilize or yes to do this. And when the answer is no. Not as soon as you see anything to do with clotting, just automatically say no. That is the reason for these guidelines, which is let's be clear. Let's make sure that you know have the information that you need to know to make a sound clinical decision. I feel like I just summed up CPGs really well, right? <laughs> you should yeah, have been on our committee. <laughs> putting evidence in the pocket of clinicians so they can go out and they can fight for mobility of their patients is the yeah. main goal. That's what you know, Mike had said. Like the, the reason was there were there were people asking more pointed questions, right? And that's the great. We, we start with the macro and we just we we work down to the to the micro. There are people asking, hey, that was great, but and some people would say, well, there's people asking questions. It means we didn't do a job, a good job the first time. Actually, no, I think you did a good job the first time. You got their attention. They followed with more questions for more information, which is a sign of an engaged audience. Um, so that's that, you know, so 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 to look at macro there, uh, uh, Ellen. It's got to feel pretty good to put out something so so quick and and uh, in terms of a turnaround. Kathy's laughing because it didn't feel quick. <laughs> how long it felt something, like forever. <laughs> how long does something like this? take you know tomorrow i'm helping out with uh with the orthopedic academy and their low back pain uh cpg from start to finish ballpark it for me like putting together a resource of this size like how long does it take it's like a labor of love three years wow. two to three years yeah three yeah years, i feel yeah. like we might have got made contact in fall of 2018 2018 yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah all right so and you know it's hard. Everyone's busy. Everyone pulling things together. It's always a challenge that way. And uh, the first time we did this, we were, we were fortunate enough to get together and the, the writing team got together face to face and we did a whole weekend of writing. And um, that was a, a great weekend. Uh, it was a good weekend all over, all over, but it was a great weekend to get things done and yeah. kind of fighting COVID a little bit this time around. But we, we muscled through and we got there. Yeah, we've embraced the cloud. You embraced the cloud. <laughs> right. I know. Shared documentation on the cloud. You can connect and you can share information, but like we are at the, at the very core, we are humans, man. Like we are. I mean, we. I don't know about you guys, but just better when you stare at someone, and you, you know, a lot, a lot can be said without something being said. All right, back to the guidelines, Ellen. What else do you want people to know about these? You know, you talked about in terms of latest evidence. You know, changing since the last uh, revision in 2016, new items. What else can uh, can people find in there? Risk assessments, clinical prediction tools, I believe. Well, I'm going to let Kathy and Mike talk. Kathy did all the risk assessment tools, which is so super for PTs. She's handing them all this information to help you make your assessments better and safer. 
Right, and so Mike worked much more on compression and upper extremity DVT. And so I think those two people should discuss their areas rather than I should. All right, Kathy, talk about that uh, in terms of what did you create? What What is someone, what are they looking forward to? What are they going to get? And what are they going to be able to do with it? Yeah, the nice thing in the first guide was they clearly laid out the importance of screening everybody and the importance of impressing upon our patients the benefits of mobility, but we didn't make, or they didn't make an actual recommendation. And at that time, they kind of spelled out, here are a bunch. And we really said, let's give clinicians something in hand, that this is a good one. This has been endorsed by the American College of Chest Physicians. So we actually make a recommendation now of a specific risk assessment model, the Padua Prediction Score that can be used and it's validated in any hospitalized patient that can be used to actually screen for VTE. We recognize there's other models that have been validated and if they're being used in your individual establishment, you should stick with that. But if a clinician is looking for a recommendation in this updated guide, we provide that. So for hospitalized patients, there's a Padua prediction score. We also have a recommendation in the outpatient setting, which is the Caprini. It's much longer, so it's not, um, not as great in the hospital setting when you want things to be quick but it's um, much more kind of all-inclusive that might be more appropriate for like an outpatient screening questionnaire. So the action statement didn't change. We still recommend that we screen. The, the benefit of the update is that we actually make a recommendation. So if you want to know which of the ones you can go to, this is one that's been endorsed by the ACCP. Got it. Once we see signs and symptoms, the Wells criteria has not changed. That continues to be the gold standard. So that's going to stay. So if you think there's a likelihood of DVT the Wells criteria is going to continue to be the, the go-to um, likelihood tool to determine if what you're seeing is truly a DVT. How good does that feel to know that like you're putting really good quality information? Knowing that, so with the people receiving this, like they know like, yeah, I've got it. I, I, I can stop looking. I've yeah. got it. And they're going to be able to use that multiple times a day, hundreds of times a year with their patients extremely usable and yes it feels great especially when you know i spend so much time with students who kind of sit in the weeds and are confused by the weeds and i love being able to come up above that and be like here is a tool for you and you may use this and it will work and it's going to make your patients safer there's a there's an infographic and i'm kind of a big dumb idiot i love when things are simplistic and 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 uh and and infographic-y and one was uh it was the difference between um i think it was knowledge and wisdom it was like i have access to all pretty much all the information in human history that is fantastic. The problem is I have access to all the information in human yeah. history. Yeah. Good luck it's sorting the, it out. <laughs> wisdom to be able to connect, right? It's to know, you know, to know which one, uh, which, which button to push or which, which test to do. And you don't want to, you don't want to make guesses, right? right. We don't, we don't want to make guesses. We want to know, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm using my clinical judgment, but get me, get me close, right? Get clinicians me are too busy. They don't want to yeah. look at every model out there. They just want to, they want to know the good one. Yeah. All right, Another so big um, benefit in this in this update is we added a special population section um, that actually focuses on the patient populations that have a higher risk of VTE. So we talk specifically about patients who are suffering from cancer or have genetic causes for increased increased coagulability. Um, and there is an additional um, risk assessment or likelihood tool, excuse me, for patients with cancer, and that's a Corona scale. So that group of patients has such a higher rate of VTE. They have about a four to eight fold increase of risk if you have cancer of developing a, a VTE. So we do provide an additional assessment for that patient population to kind of help separate of the patients who are suffering from cancer who are at the highest risk of VTE. That's another new addition in the update. 
these are the things that I would, when I was a student and I was doing my clinicals, these are the things you print out and you laminate and you tape them to the back of your clipboard. And you're like, I just, I may, I might not look at it. But if I want, it's there. I, it's I there. Can, I can there's lines, there's boxes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a physics professor in, in college. He was like, you can bring any, any note you want into the test. It's got to fit on a three by five card. And that's when you get real fine point real pens. <laughs> and the funny part is this was a growing pains episode and I'm dating myself here. Back in like the 80s or 90s where Kirk Cameron's Mike Seaver character spent the night writing all of his notes in the bottom of a pair of sneakers. <laughs> and then he didn't. And then he aced the test. Right. He was like the, he wasn't yeah. a smart student. He aced the test and put his feet up and then his teacher saw it. And he was like, <laughs> but he's like, no, he's like, I swear to God, he's like, I was going to cheat. But I spent <clears throat> the whole night writing the notes down and he's like, I actually learned it. So it's like these things, like they're there and you can have yeah. them with you. And that's the best part is you can have them on the back of that clipboard, but eventually you're going to actually get to learn because you're going to use these types of things. Well, I'm going to jump in here and tell you that we also are supposed to get all of these tools into an app. Uh, Guideline Central is developing an app for us. They're developing a pocket guide that has all of our key action statements, our tables, our figures and all this. But there's also going to be an app so you can pull your iPhone up and say, oh, I, I think they may have, you know, this cancer patient may have, you know, BTE. Let me see if they're at risk and they plug it into the app. So I think that's going to help us yeah. and help PTs understand it more and learn more. Yeah, there's that connectability, right? That, that, that ability to access that information. So great, you know it, but if I can't access it in front of that patient when I need it, that app is going to help out a lot. Um, anything else you wanted to add about, uh, about the stuff, you, you, the, the areas you're working on, Kathy? No, you know, I'm really glad Ellen mentioned the app because implementation of these CPGs is one of the most important things. We spend all this time writing them and we don't want them to sit on a website somewhere that no one ever accessed. Right. So I really love the support that we're getting to put this together and it's going to make it really user-friendly for clinicians. Excellent. All right, Mike, uh, I heard the word compression, right? And as we head into like, uh, uh, especially f uh, the football playoffs, I feel like compression, that's what, I've, that's, that's what people always ask me, compression sleeves. Jimmy, <laughs> all my non-healthcare uh, friends, what, what, what's going on here? But in terms of uh, a compression, where does that come in with these uh, with these guidelines? So in our, in our 2016 recommendations, uh, we recommended compression post-diagnosis, and that's what the literature showed. And it was um, some smaller studies, some lesser quality studies, and there's been a little bit of a shift since the time that we published. And I think the shift came pretty much right when we published uh, that, that bigger study came out, the SOC study, I think it was. Um, <clears throat> so right now in our new guidelines, we still recommend compression if someone's high risk. So if you're working with somebody, Kathy mentioned the individuals who have cancer or maybe someone who's immobile, someone uh, who has a clotting condition and, and, and they're immobile, compression is a great intervention to use to help prevent a clot from forming along with hydration and movement, all those things there. Uh, the change in the guidelines came come with, uh, we're saying that if a person has a new uh, lower extremity DVT, we do not recommend or we do not, it's not necessary to use compression with every single person. Okay, so maybe the default before was, okay, they got a DVT, we really should get some compression on them that'll help with their pain, decrease risk of uh, post-thrombotic syndrome. Well, the literature shows it, it's not the best thing to do for every single patient. Huh. Now, this is where the clinical judgment comes in, right? You have somebody, they say, I got some pain. I have some swelling. I'd really like to try to compression. It's okay to use it. It's not going to cause you any harm as long as they have the right size and you teach them how to put them on the right way, that sort of thing there. 
But what we're saying is that you shouldn't use it for every single person. That's the big change that we see. Yeah. That's the great thing about guidelines. I mean, I just feel like we keep coming back to this is we're like, you looked, you saw, you saw what was out there in, in terms of um, a growing body of knowledge. And you said, well, we're going to distill it. We're going to still distill it down for you. Cause we know you don't have the time to do that. And you're going to take yeah. a look. And we know how taxing that is, right? We've all been in that patient's room trying to get a, a compression stocking on someone's leg, right? And how hard that is for a family member. And, you know, if it doesn't give you a benefit across the board and, and it's struggle to get on, it's kind of reassuring to say like, okay, you don't have to wear this. Research is kind of iffy on this. Um, it's okay not to wear it. Yeah. You, you bring up patients, you bring up their, their caregivers in terms of uh, advocating. Advocacy measures that PTs can, can use to advocate for their patients with VTE. That's something I was going to, I was going to ask you, Mike. Advocating for them. You're, you're asking me about this. Yeah. I, I think, I think I'm going to be, I forget if it was Kathy or Ellen just talked about that, giving us the tools. And you mentioned too, about making sure we're not underdosing, right? Yeah. So advocating saying, okay, this person's on this medication. We can look at this guideline and they should be at that therapeutic level in so many hours. Let's get this person out of bed. They don't have to wait in bed for 24 hours because they're on this medication. Let's get up moving around. And just giving that person that reassurance too, that um, if you get up, it's not like you're going to throw a clot and you're going to have a pulmonary embolism or a stroke, you know, um, this is what the research shows us. If you're properly anticoagulated, your risk is, is pretty slim of that happening. So I think that reassurance from that way, advocating in that way. We'll make sure once the, uh, once the, 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 the guidelines are available, the link to that will be in the show notes to the, the episode. We'll make sure that's updated. Uh, let's, let's, let's focus towards warmer things, uh, which is San Antonio and CSM. Before we hit record and broadcast uh, tonight, we're talking about, I don't know, maybe free t-shirts with, uh, I don't know, blood clot on it or something like that for your presentation. <laughs> let's give people a little bit of a teaser. Uh, if they're making the trip, if they're coming to come to San Antonio, I always tell people, uh, one, take at least two, two sessions, go to at least two sessions that are completely outside of what you do on a regular basis. Just do that. Expand your horizons. Um, how many times do you like, you know, I actually walk, how many times I've actually walked into the wrong room and I'm like, you know what? I can't leave. <laughs> and I've still learned something. You still take something away. Let's give people uh, a little uh, preview. What are you guys going to be discussing? What's someone going to be able to take away after your, uh, your session in, in San Antonio? Uh, well, we're actually Thursday. Um, is it 11 or something? So. Our presentation? So. Um, check the app. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> check the app. That. Yeah. So a takeaway, uh, we are actually using case studies. And so we are going to present our whole talk with a case study and then relate the actual key action statements that fit it. So as if they were to read a chart or see a patient. And the takeaway, I think, is, is that we've made it very practical for them to understand. So they're not going to go away memorizing all the different key action statements, but gonna, they're going to take away, how would I assess this patient, what risk assessment tool I'd use for this specific clot, um, and then, you know, when can I get them up and what are some signs and symptoms I need to watch for? So I think we're going to really make it that they can take away something they can use in the clinic right away as soon as they get back home. Context, right? You're going to put it in context for them, right? Human, yeah. human, human brains is where I, I bring in my communications uh, uh, background, which is if you put it in a story, if you put it in context, 
you got a better chance of people remembering that. I mean, everything you needed to learn, you probably learned in kindergarten. If I say uh, three little pigs, it was like, well, do your work because eventually a big bad wolf might come along and try to blow your house down. But you remember that, right? So you're embedding you're embedding these uh, these these bits of knowledge that are in the guidelines into stories that are real world applicable. And it's great because our cases are going to span different um, different patients, different um, you know sites. We got outpatient, we've got acute inpatient, we've got long term care. So hopefully we have a really broad audience, so you can see how this applies in lots of different patient settings. And the, and the stories. And that's I was going to say, that's the thing too, Katie. I love how you brought up the settings because I think a lot of times people see VTE, oh, that's a hospital thing. That's a cardiopalm thing. And of course, we're all cardiopalm people sitting here in hospital. Um, but I mean, you know, if you've been in the outpatient clinic, yeah, those people come in seven, 10 days post-surgery and they're like, oh, look at my calf. It's all swollen. I mean, they're more likely to come into an outpatient clinic with those things or a home health therapist is going to see those things there. So um, we try to really talk about that. This is not just an acute care or cardio palm section thing. This is across the board. This is a profession thing. And as a physical therapist, you should know. So this, this kind of fits in line, like go to something, especially when you're at a place like CSM with so many different sections and academies available in one under one roof, you should go to something or two per day. That's completely outside of what you, uh, what you expect. You'll run into some nice people as well. You've inspired you me. I'm going to do this. Do something different. I'm going to be in a neural section. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Listen, every one of your cardiopalm patients uh, is going to have a brain and a nervous system. So what? that's all I heard from my neuro professor in, in, uh, in PT school. Really put it in perspective. Um, anything else I didn't ask about the guidelines? Anything else you guys wanted to dig into that uh, I didn't get a chance to bring up? Well, Mike hasn't talked about upper extremity. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. see what I did? I automatically assumed and went under that assumption with a lot of people do it. Yeah, it's all about the lower extremity. So talk about the upper extremity. What's that, What's added to this guideline from the last about the upper extremity? Well, I think one of the things that surprised me, at least, I mean, I knew there's literature out there about upper extremity, but I thought for sure we'd find this great study that looked at mobilizing the upper extremity. And when can you have the person move their arm and do that? And there's nothing out huh. there. It was really disappointing. Um, it's We searched and searched and we had librarians helping us and we could not find anything at all. So this is one of these things of the, the clinical practice guideline. You, you go with the evidence that you have. So what we really did is we applied the information from the lower extremity to the upper extremity. It's the same process. It's the same things going on from that standpoint. So the evidence is all weaker in the upper extremity about mobilization because there's really no studies out there that said, okay, um, how long should you wait? What's the risk of this and that? It's all really application of the lower extremity information. So that was one of the big surprises um, when we looked at that. And Kathy mentioned before the wells, um, we have there's a very similar tool that that for the upper extremity, the constants that that um, helps you determine risk and or likelihood, and if you need to recommend an ultrasound or a Doppler ultrasound or not uh, from that standpoint. There. Um, That's something you're going to get from is if. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. I was going to wrap well, you up. Okay. The upper extremity is, is uh, big risk factor is having a line in your arm, a catheter or a line or a port of some sort, right? So you're putting this, you know, and we've all seen what central lines look like and pick lines look like. So having one of those in the venous system irritates the vessel wall. It impedes flow. It really gets at some of those things that really cause clots. And that's where you're going to get it from a guideline. We talked about this a few times is, a clinician who's treating is not going to have the time to do the search 
or maybe they do the search and they don't find anything and they go, I'm, I'm, I, I guess it's probably out there, but I'm not finding it. But you found there was there wasn't anything out there. So you were able to do something else, which is another step, which is apply something from somewhere else and say, okay, applying the you know, lower extremity rule, upper extremity, here's what we have. And that just, you're built, what you're doing is you're building upon things that are already known. And a really? clinician treating doesn't have time for that. I think it's just so important too, because clinicians are seeing it more and more as they're using these lines. And that's a really like isolating feeling as a therapist. If you go to the literature and there's nothing there, and at least Maybe now- not. There's a group that came together. There's expert opinion based on other literature that has been applied. It's been vetted. You know, all these people have looked at this document. So it really should give people at least, you know, some grounding to make some clinical decisions. I feel like grounding is a good word because some people, uh, especially with the uh, the low back pain uh, CPG I'm going to talk about tomorrow, some people on social media really took that and they said, these are these rules. These rules are ridiculous. They're putting out there, and everybody from orthopedics was saying these aren't rules. These yeah. are this is a this is a CPG. This is a guideline. This is what we found in the research. We did research on research. <laughs> um, so like we should say, and I, I feel like I, I maybe I should have had a disclaimer in the beginning of the episode. These are guidelines, right? I mean, guidelines are not telling you do this, not that. They're saying, hey, like this is your clinical judgment. But if you'd like some guidelines, like guide rails along a highway. Um, this is what we found, right? I mean, is, is that a good way to kind of describe a CPG, which is it's not rules, not what you can and cannot do. Right. You can, can, and you could do whatever you want in terms of your license and your state practice act. I would say, uh, these are guidelines in terms of best practice. And some of them we had level one evidence, but others like with the upper extremity, we had right. best practice, right. we, you know, you, you don't always have level one. So, um, I did want to throw in, we did do some research into coagulopathy with COVID. Mm-hmm. Hello, we uh, wrote these during COVID. Right. And we actually ended up writing an article about coagulopathy um, in COVID because we had so much evidence that was coming out that we were looking at that talked about coagulopathy. So, you know, we really took our guidelines and our information and we put it to a new um, disease that we were seeing COVID. And it was, it was a fabulous learning experience for me, um, to see all of these, um, articles coming out and seeing how they were treating it. It was, um, it's been very eye-opening and I think very helpful for other clinicians. So we did add some of that also into our guidelines. Yeah. So really showing the, 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 the newness and how fresh some of the information in this update can be is, you know, uh, my colleagues at Mount Sinai doing a lot of work, uh, you know, especially in, 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 in uh, post-acute um, uh, COVID-19 syndrome. Uh, one of my colleagues said it was, it's a lot like changing the uh, tire on an 18-wheeler while you're on the highway, while that 18-wheeler is going 65 miles an hour. It's like you're trying to figure it out while you're in the middle of the problem. Yeah. The, world doesn't, the world doesn't care. You know, it's not going to wait around. So good on you guys for, for including that because it couldn't have been easy. And we have these, you know, risk assessment models that have all been validated before this disease ever existed. Sure. So we had to talk about it because it's not it's not built into the cake in the these previously validated studies. So you have to account for that these patients have higher risk, even if they don't they're not being identified in these other ways. Yeah. Ignoring it isn't gonna help anybody. Probably right? not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> well, did you guys see that we would just talk about this in the last episode I did? Did you watch the the Netflix movie Don't Look Up? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. halfway through, I was watching the movie alone, and I just kept going. I don't know why, but I kept going like around the room. I was going, like, <laughs> right? This is like happening, like right. And then they do 
more tongue in cheek. I'm like, right? Like that's the thing. <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't stop thinking about that movie. Like the airplane of our generation. I was like, yes, <laughs> right. It's all tongue in cheek, but I'm like, it's kind of true. Like, well, they're they're grounding it in like real life stuff. But good on you guys for taking on and saying, like, well, I'm not going to put my head in the sand. We're we're going to make sure we can at least take our our best shot at 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 trying to figure uh, use use what we know to apply it to a real problem. Like, oh my gosh, like research is practical. Like, oh my god, who, who thought we could not just writing stuff and, and publishing it somewhere? It's like, yeah, we're going to use this stuff. <clears throat> And so writing about go ahead, Mike. Sorry. About you go ahead, Kathy. No, I was gonna say writing about COVID nineteen was the most unique experience because we'd write a paragraph and then Ellen be emailing me. This article just came out. Like, look at this. <laughs> like every week there'd be a new article coming out. It was I've never written anything where every week it's, the ground was shifting. It was the most bizarre experience. It's like, am I writing research or news? Like, I feel <laughs> yeah. like this is this is like today. I was talking to a colleague today at Mount Sinai. He was talking about. Um, finding evidence of of individuals who are experiencing micro clotting and then having a form of dialysis to remove the micro clots and then mm -hmm. in some people they come back the micro clotting reappears within 24 to 48 hours it's like something's go this is a we got to get patho patho people to figure out like what why and then why after you remove it it comes back again okay so we got to go further upstream here mm -hmm. right we got to figure out the, not just remove it but why is it starting so it's mm -hmm. you know this 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 goes to my my tweet yesterday uh, from work which was um this isn't the flu right this doesn't happen this what is what we're experiencing in terms of long covid and and should you even differentiate? Is it long COVID or is it COVID and it just doesn't stop? Like, I understand you can go back to work and you're not experiencing a fever, but like this thing that happened is still causing things to happen. So it's not two things, it's one, but figure it out. Mike, what were you going to say before I went on a random tangent? I, I, I don't know what I was going to say, actually, but it'll, it'll come back. <laughs> That's okay. Kathy, Kathy said was much more intelligent than what I was going to say. So. Well, but going back to what Kathy said, it would be like, okay, so COVID started March-ish of 2020. Right. And they weren't treating this coagulopathy, but they were noticing mm -hmm. it. In April, all of a sudden, they start to come out with these guidelines. We're writing in June. And this is what she was saying. It was like, our evidence was only like months old. <clears throat> yeah. It wasn't years old. Yeah. It was months old. And it was based on a data coming from some other countries you know that were helping with literature but most of it was from the trenches mm -hmm. yeah. you know? and so it was like trying to talk about the war uh while the war is going on right. <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh and it was it was phenomenal because we wanted to get this information out fast to let people know that clotting was really happening with COVID, not just the lungs but you know the vascular system was really impacted and nobody was focusing on that. They were focusing on the lungs and the ventilator and the breathing. And so we were trying to show this other thing like, hey, guys, don't forget that, you know, they could be throwing clots here and there and everywhere. And uh, and they were. And so it was it was really fascinating to have just months of data and evidence and not years. Ellen, you need a big shout out for this because she was so passionate about letting clinicians know the whole driving force. We were doing all this work in this crazy time. I had kids home with, you know, no school. We're going online with our classes and she's like, clinicians need to know. And it was like, yeah. it was your passion project. And it was all for the communication, the clinicians. So 
I mean, you're driven by that. And I really, I find it huge inspiration. So I want everyone to know that that was our driving factor. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that's why I, that's why I got the random job that I got, which was, I went to PT school to be a physical therapist. And then I got there and I realized there was this hole. I don't want to say gap. Cause we use that phrase, that word way too frequently, but there was, it was like, just because you know something doesn't mean everybody knows something and you need to make sure because again we're all animals with these big dumb brains we don't know what to pay attention to and that's where that don't look up movie comes in again where it's just like you have to understand that some people are going to want to ignore things or some people just don't have the bandwidth for it you need to put it in terms that they understand right make it easy to under what do you do how does it make my life better and then what do I need to do to get it? Those are the three questions every human being is constantly asking when they're just scrolling online, which is what we do, or, or walking around. What do you, so we call it the grunt test because you should be able to answer it like a Neanderthal, just grunt, just grunt the answer. <laughs> what do you do? How does it make my life better? And then and only then will someone ask, how do I, how do I get it? How do I get this in my life? And I think things like guidelines are perfect, perfect examples of distilling really great information into things that they can use. Hand me most hand me the hammer. I want to hit something, but I want to make sure I'm using the right hammer for the right for the right nail as I go back to uh, talking about home renovations. Oh, but Jimmy, we needed a hammer sometime. We were ready to hit things. We were so frustrated and so tired at different times. Yeah. So it was quite an adventure and I can't I can't thank enough Kathy and Mike working with them was just such a breeze. And we all got so close um, because it was, there were times it was just driving us nuts. There was so much stuff there. So. What, what was the hardest part? Was it, I should say, all right. So, so you guys have done this a couple times is what's harder not having enough information to answer a question or having so much information to answer a question, which is harder. I think it's analyzing it almost because you get to this point. Is it a level one? Is it a level two? Is it A or is it B? I mean, it's easy when it's a one versus expert opinion, but it's it's kind of back and forth because, you know, you we've all read the studies and they all have different designs and different formats and how do you bring it all together? So it's all there. I mean, I had the hardest part, those those micro little debates there, right? About A, B, one, two, and, you know, how much does it actually matter? And uh, yeah, everyone's going to probably need to walk away and go, okay, I'm going to walk away and come back at this with fresh eyes or pass it off to a teammate yep. and just say, hey, what's your what's your gut on this? Kathy, we're A lot of the you. areas that have tons of literature now have really good guidelines in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. Like we had the ACCP and the ESC and the NICE guidelines. So that gives you a lot of comfort. So even though it's like this massive amount of information, you already had it sort of distilled through. So you were really pointed in the right direction. I agree with Mike. It was the in-between stuff that was much harder to muddy through. And then we did have to leave it, walk away, come back to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, we'd look at each other like, did what I write that? Who wrote that? <laughs> oh. Where'd that come from? I don't think I wrote that. Wait, I did I write, I write that. that. Somebody slipped in in the middle of the night and put that in there. <laughs> I have that. I mean, I, I'm not writing guidelines, but I've had that with our own podcast staff. I've had someone tell me an idea and I'm like, that is a great idea. And they're like, you pitched that idea last week. That's your idea. I'm like, I have no recollection of that. I have no recollection of that idea. But now no. I know why I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. 
but I've had people laugh at I, well, there's a, a famous story from my former morning guy who I was really good friends with for my nine years in, in, in radio in Pennsylvania. And he's like, he he first thought he's like, I thought you were just this guy who used to steal people's stories. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you he's like, you've told me stories about nights. You've told me stories that we were together. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you told me a story about we went to the Nine Inch Nails concert. We found ourselves backstage. He's like, but you told me. He's like, I was with you. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, I have no, I barely have recollection of the story. So I will retell stories to people who were there and have no remembrance of them. But I'm sure when you're writing such specific material and so much of it, of course, you're going to forget like, oh my God, did I write that? Like, that <laughs> is it my words? And we had a good team of reviewers too. So the three of us are the, you know, the authors, right? So we have a team of reviewers that they went through and they analyzed this systematic review or this clinical practice guideline or this RCT. So we really relied on them too and their assessment of this too. So um, Thanks again, it doesn't happen just with us. There's a whole group of people that yeah. help make this happen. And right. other reviewers at the end. Sure. And then, um, the funniest, I have to tell you, the funniest was we actually had some physicians who were authors of the European Society of Cardiology and they reviewed it. And the feedback we got from them was just amazing. They said, we really learned a lot from your guidelines. <laughs> we were like, us? From us? <laughs> that's the brass ring, right? I mean, that's the goal. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that we had such an impression on these other physicians who knew so much about BTE, but not really mobility, mobility. which right. was our key thing. Right. So you're putting the PT spin on the thing. And this way, but how would you, yeah, right. How would they not learn? They're not focused on that, right? So, yeah. you know, this goes back to why Kathy needs to go to two things uh, per day at CSM. They're completely out of her wheelhouse. Yeah. I'll and hopefully the clinician that. hears that and they say, okay, I need to speak up at my healthcare system and say, I need to be at the table. I need to be talking about this. Okay, we have the European guidelines, but what about these, you know, these guidelines over here that have that PT perspective? And that's yeah. like Kathy's mentioned before, that's where the implement, implementation comes in. You have to have that team approach. Everybody has to buy into it. You can't just do it yourself. Yeah. Anything I didn't bring up before we go to three questions? I'll you know, I think we thoroughly covered our wonderful three years. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of information. It, it was good. It was good to be with these people, but it it's a lot of work. People need to realize, yeah. you know, and, and you want to quit at times, didn't you? <laughs> sure. Like, that much information, of course. It's a big, big project. So, all right, let's do, uh, let's do three questions. Three, three questions brought to you by Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Find them online at physicalfranchise.com. That is physicalfranchise.com, F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L. On average, a private practice who joins the physical network grows more than 40%. I like 40%. So if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes, visit physicalfranchise.com. All right, three questions. Really easy, I promise. First question is a where question. I like to know where you guys go. Where are you going to go? Well, now that you're done with this, with this guidelines, now you can kind of like, you know, exhale, right? We're always waiting to exhale. Um, but where's, where is your where? Where is somewhere that you would go to, to sort of decompress and, uh, and, 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 and be able to relax? Ellen, we'll go to you first. Oh, wow. Um, I already did. Where'd you go? I went to Hawaii. Yeah. All right. Fine. Rub it in just a little further. 
I went to Hawaii in December. I went to Kauai and it was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I was pulling uh wood paneling off a new house that I just bought. So we were <laughs> you know, that sounds like so much right more there on the I'm same sorry. wavelength. Uh Mike, where's where's somewhere that you'd love to go? Where's somewhere that you 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 well, go out of your way to go to decompress? Yeah, so we I guess I have the same experience as Ellen. We were able to get away a little bit of Thanksgiving and it's like this magical time before everything happened, rehappened with COVID. We went got a chance going to Disney Cruise with the family and wow. had a great time with that and the, the magic of that. So that that was a great time. But mm-hmm. I think anywhere you can spend time with people and it's uh you know, away from the distractions. The nice thing about being in the middle of the ocean, your cell phone doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Cassie, where's your where? Well, mine's not nearly as exciting as these two travelers. Um, but my husband's family has a lake house here in Wisconsin, and that is my peaceful place. We've got a dock and a pontoon, and my kids love it. And it's far away, and or it's not far away, but it's far away from technology. That's good. So that's my place. Listen, Miller, I mean, it's Miller, frozen right now. I have to wait till June. <laughs> Middle of Wisconsin, get yourself some line and kugels, and you're uh, you're 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 good to go. Second question I ask is completely self-serving and selfish. I ask it to build up my like Netflix queue or my reading list or my podcast list. Uh, what's something you've watched or read or listened to that you think the audience would get value from? It does not have to be PT related at all, Ellen. What, what's on your list? Book, movie, <laughs> podcast, something. Okay, so VTE, very heavy. Okay, got it. <laughs> so you want something that's totally the opposite. Yes. So my daughter's got me into Emily in Paris. What is that? Oh. Is that a show? Yeah, it's a Netflix show, I think, or HBO Max. Anyway, she has the most gorgeous, cute outfits. Oh, yeah. Watch for the <laughs> and she's in Paris. Well, and she likes thought. to drink in Paris. And <laughs> yeah, I, I like Emily already. It's, it's the most brain dead, but it's, you know, it, probably the guys yeah. wouldn't enjoy it. They'd probably oh, prefer hey. the Georgia Bulldogs playing the other night, and they won. They yeah. Win. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Emily in Paris is such a brain dead, but the outfits are so cute and the scenery is so great and et cetera. So there it's you go. It's on my cue. It's on my cue. <laughs> Mike, what do you got? You got to follow Emily in Paris. Good luck. Yeah, we've been watching Money Heist on Netflix. Oh, oh I never heard of that one. I've never heard of it yeah. either. They break into the Spanish uh, mint and they're, they're holding hostages, but they're printing their own money. And this guy has this whole strategy about how he's going to get the money out. He's been planning this this bank heist his whole life. Just, it's uh. We thought it was one season, but you know, we've all watched Netflix, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's five seasons. It's like, wow. Money yeah. heist? We're committed now. Money We're going to finish it. Money heist. i got to remember this. Yeah, I'm checking that one out. Kathy, what do you got? I have to go with Fleabag. It is one of my all-time favorite comedies that just makes me laugh. We had to rewatch the whole second season, my husband and I, because it is so <laughs> But funny. they're not going to have any more seasons. I know, I but you knew understand. it when she walked away. You knew it. When you have a mess, like it was like the the wave wasn't even breaking, wasn't even cresting yet. I was like, this is gonna She's be an artist. Famous. She painted her full piece and she walked away. <laughs> Broke my heart. I, know. I love that show. All right, uh, and the last question we ask on three questions is a who question. Who is someone that the audience should know more about? It's like kind of your chance to give a nod to someone that you know is doing great work, but maybe needs a little more spotlight. Ellen, what do you got? first i'm just going i'll go, I'll go first i'll go first i got someone go uh professor marquette sandra hunter exercise physiologist she's phenomenal and she studies um she's just a pioneer in sex differences and is a voice at every single table that we need more research and focus on women and she is my hero and my idol at marquette and so if you have any chance to read her see her come to marquette she's amazing love it 
All right, who wants to go next? Mike, we'll go in reverse order. Mike, you go next. Oh, geez. Um, I, I'm, I'm working with another group at CSM. We're talking about lifestyle medicine and working with older adults. And I have a colleague, me, uh, Nola Peacock. She's doing some great work out. And someone who's not doing research, but in her healthcare system, she is leading a whole lifestyle medicine um, center at her healthcare system and how they can integrate it across the whole healthcare system. So that's pretty exciting seeing that in action. All right, Ellen, you get to close now. What do you got? Oh, there's so many people I would love to name that are really up and coming. Um, I'd like to name two people that I'm working with on another committee. One is Naomi Bauer, and she's really moving forward in pulmonary rehab and setting up a pulmonary rehab and really progressing, um, you know, the, the field of pulmonary rehab. And the second person is Ashley Parrish, and she just was named an emerging leader for Alabama, and I think also the Cardio um, Academy, I'm not sure. But she has done so much for PR and awareness. And um, I, I just, I think she's truly an emerging leader in our organization. So I Thanks. just wanted to give a little hoot and holler for those two people. A little spotlight. All right, that's uh, that's three questions again, brought to you by our friends at Physical Therapy and Balance Centers, physicalfranchise.com. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. mentioned earlier that tomorrow we'll be uh, hanging out with our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. We'll be talking about their um, talking about their low back pain CPG. Uh, they also have their current concepts of orthopedic fee, uh, physical therapy. Uh, that really just your your perfect roadmap from wherever you are in your orthopedic career to where, where you want to go. You went to the OCS. You want to level up. You want to get better. Constantly updated now in its fifth edition. Again, online at orthopt.org. So parting shot, your last chance for really a mic drop moment or just something you want to leave with the audience. Is there somebody who wants to go first? Is there someone who wants to go last? I want to make sure this is democratic. Uh, so who yeah. wants to, to, to throw out their parting shot first? Don't answer hope, you see, we, hope you see people at CSM and we're excited to have things published. And we, and like Ellen said, in a couple months, hopefully it's out there in your hands and, uh, Email us. Let us know what you think. Excellent. All right, Kathy, Ellen, who wants to, to throw the, the, their last idea out there? Well, I am going to throw an idea for all those who are going to work on groups like this or, you know, take something on. I really think you need to look for significant people who can contribute regularly and who are fun to be with. And Mike and Kathy were exactly that. And it, for a three-year project, you really have to get to work with people who you can work with and who are as committed as you are or need to be committed like you should be maybe. <laughs> but um, I mean, I really think you need to look at your group and you need to look for people like that who you would like to work with and you can learn a lot from yeah. as well as share a lot. So I really thank these two for uh, the past three years. It was quite a, a period of time. So that's, that's my last that's great. statement. Great information for just group dynamics, right? How do how do you how do you how do you really accomplish something? You start in with people, right? It's yeah. the right it's the right people, it's right? The people. How do you find the right people? Is it always the person has the most knowledge? It's not, right? It's the people. Well, they say hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work hard, 
right? But you also have to have fun. So you also want to make sure they also want to have a beer as well. Yeah, Our Ellen kids. looked at my CV, but then she asked me what kind of wine I like. That's how I got in the group. <laughs> Would you want to have wine with this person? That's a great question. All right, Kathy, what's your parting shot to wrap it up for us today? My parting shot is everybody out there who's listening, get the app when it comes out and use it because it's going to be there for you and it's going to make our patients more healthy. Yeah, and safe. yeah. well said. Hey, uh, thanks for investing in our profession. Um, these things are volunteer. These things take a lot of time, effort, stress, um, focus, attention, probably away from some other things, but you understand uh, all too well why you do it, right? It's so important and uh, clinicians will benefit from it, but really it starts and ends with people. Their patients will benefit from it. So I'm imagining that's why you guys uh, decided to take on something like this. And at the rate you're going, you'll be back in three and a half years right? to redo this uh, again. So we'll, have, we'll have a beer then as well. Uh, so thanks for the time sharing this. And again, we'll make that link available in the show notes once this is available for everybody to uh, to digest. We'll see you guys in San Antonio. And they say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.